You're listening to The Court Leader's Advantage, a podcast series for court professionals and by court professionals. Brought to you by thecourtleader.net in cooperation with NACOM, the National Association for Court Management. Think back just 18 months ago to October 2019. In most courts, working remotely from home was a privilege granted to a small number of court employees. To my recollection, it was mostly used by IT folk and executive office staff who were working on some major project. Who would have thought that just six months later, courts across the country would be engaged in promoting telework to many, if not most, of their employees? This has been a profound cultural shift, and it's almost unheard of in court administration. We now have close to a year's experience with allowing employees to telework on a widespread basis. What has been the experience of court administrators and clerks of court with telework? What productivity improvements have we seen? What are the obstacles that we have encountered, and how have we steered around them? What lessons have we learned, and what advice do we have to share? I'm Pete Kiefer, and welcome to the February episode of the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. Today, we're talking with court administrators from around the country about the effect teleworking has had on the courts. We're chatting about the technological, cultural, and operational aspects of this dramatic shift in how court work gets done. So let's join our panel and our co-host. My co-host today is Alice Roberts with the State Court System in Anchorage, Alaska. On our panel this month is Sam Hamrick, Court Executive Officer with the Superior Court in Riverside, California. Terry March, Court Administrator with the Justice Court in North Las Vegas, Nevada. Courtney Whiteside, Director of the Municipal Court in St. Louis, Missouri. And Debbie Spradley, Trial Court Administrator with the Clackamas County Circuit Court in Oregon City, Oregon. Thank you all for joining today's podcast episode. So let's start off by turning to Alice Roberts with some questions about how teleworking operates in your court. Thank you, Peter. I'd like to start by having you give a thumbnail sketch of telework in your court. Who is able to telework? Who is not able to telework? And how have the employees responded? Sam? Thank you. I um, have to say this is a topic that I have personally evolved over as a court administrator over the years. As far as our court specifically, uh, the driver of telework in the last year has been to operate with as few people as possible in the courthouse. And that's a different motivation perhaps than in the past, but it has been a way to really test run this policy to see how it works and to what extent it can be, we can continue to uh, do the work of the court. Generally, if a, a job involves physically being in the courtroom, we're not able to um, do that remotely, but there are exceptions. We have had some court reporting done remotely. We have had some interpreting done remotely. Uh, so it's not absolute. Uh, we have had, uh, we've, we've always had a number of jobs that were always remote, such as the probate investigator. We want them out in the community and their work really does have to be done in the community. So they've always been um, teleworking uh, positions. Uh, but we've expanded it, and um, it's been uh, so far so good. It's 
kind of the, the response I can give you for Riverside. Thank you. Courtney, how is it in St. Louis Municipal Court? We are new to the teleworking game. We have not had an in-person court session since March 13th of last year. So we are old hats at the virtual hearings, but teleworking is new. We have switched case management systems to a statewide case management system that's web-based. So we are in a position now to where my clerks can work from home. So I have a mixed bunch. I mean, some are really excited about it. They, a lot of them, their kids are doing school virtually from home. So they appreciate the opportunity to be able to work from home as well. And then others who like the camaraderie of the office, it is a huge culture change to not go into the office. For a long time, I decided to turn 40 and have a baby last year. So I was working remotely for most of the year. So that was very different for me. And you know, now taking my staff in that direction, St. Louis County came out with a telework policy in October. So you know, they're, the framework is set there. And then as the appointing authority, I get to determine who can work from home, who can't. And, but the important part to me is, although I think teleworking provides a resource that we didn't have before, but also I think it's equally as important that you still have people in your office. You know, you don't have to have a lot of people in your office, but there's still those self-represented litigants that come in and there are people that want to come in and make payments. And uh, you still have to have that availability in your office. So it's, a, it's an interesting balance. We went through several different phases last year of staggering hours of having people working at days A and days B. And I have four different locations. So separating clerks out throughout the four locations. And it, it, it was very interesting. So we, we came out victorious and now we're shipping everybody home and then working on a clerk or two in, in each office. And we're looking forward to it. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Stay tuned. Thank you. It sounds very positive so far. Yeah, so far so good. <laughs> Great. Terry, how about North Las Vegas Justice Court? Well, our county has also established a framework and a set of guidelines for teleworking, but it's honestly not practical for our court. Our computer system is not web-based and we are not paperless. Additionally, we service a community that frequently does not have access to computers and may not even have smartphones. Now, even though we, we do have payments online, we'll have folks say, I need to pay by cash. I need to come in the building. So our use of technology has been mostly limited to court hearings as much as possible. We are doing arraignments by video we are allowing remote, uh, remote testimony by witnesses. We're, we're trying to expand that more and more. We've even done things telephonically. The biggest difficulty we're finding is for our court reporter transcriber. She transcribes from audiovisual testimony. And because everyone in the courthouse is wearing a mask, it sometimes makes transcribing extremely difficult. Uh, quite honestly, the only person in our court that could probably telecommute would be myself because a lot of my job is done by computer and by phone. But I, I think it sends a bad message if I don't show up when everyone else is expected to. Early in the pandemic, we did stagger hours and have everyone come in every other day. We staggered court sessions. Uh, we limited the types of things that people could even come into the courthouse for. We're still limiting capacity. And a lot of that's directed by the governor's directives on what our capacity should be. So we've had to react to that constantly. 
I think we've issued something like seven or eight different administrative orders guiding how we would run court and who would be allowed in. So we've kind of had to scramble on a regular basis in response to what the governor's directives are, which are based on what the numbers in our state are. And so it, it has required us to be agile and nimble and think in ways that we didn't before. Wow, thank you, um, Terry. You raised an issue that I hadn't thought about. Now, in my role now with the Alaska court system, I'm pretty distant from the trial courts, but the issue you raised about audio recordings, uh, folks in the courtroom, you know, I imagine the mask is having a significant effect on the quality of recording you're getting. So thank you for raising that. I hadn't thought about that. You know, some courts have said that, that they must perform all financial operations in the office, such as receipts, deposits, refunds, et cetera. Are there types of functions in your court that must be performed in the office? And I know that uh, some of you, Terry especially, have focused and identified some of those. But Debbie, what about in Clackamas County Circuit Court? So we were lucky in uh, 2015, our court transitioned to paper on demand. And so we have e-filing and all of our documents that come in, in paper are electronically imaged. We started that back in 2015, kind of day forward. And so we have all of our new cases are, are imaged and available online. So there is quite a bit of work that somebody can do remotely here. Although we still have about 7,000 people a month coming into our building. Pre-COVID, we had about 14,000 uh, coming to the doors every month. So, you know, it is a big drop, but we have we have people coming in that need assistance at our counters and in our courtrooms. Even though we're doing many hearings remotely, we still have, you know, some in-person hearings. And um, so there's payments that can be made online, but if somebody isn't able to do that, they would come in and yes, they would need to make a payment here at the courthouse. So there's, there's just some things that you can't, we, we haven't been able to do remotely. And we also are still trying to do jury trials on, um, for in-custody defendants. So, you know, we have prospective jurors reporting for jury duty and that can't be done remotely. So, you know, there's, there's still some things of a, a court operation that just has to be done in person. Thank you. Um, Sam, how about in Riverside? There are a number of uh, things, uh, tasks that have to be here at the courthouse or the various courthouses. Financial aspect is one. Uh, we have been able to do a little more with appointments. So we, have, we can operate with fewer people on site. Uh, the jury issue is a big one. Uh, we were doing, we resumed jury trials on June 15th of last year for criminal, and we were able to do that through Thanksgiving, and uh, then we had to suspend them again because of the uh, uh, spike in uh, cases throughout California, but um, we're planning to bring them back in March. And uh, from that experience, even with the staff on site, to pick a jury with social distancing in our setup, everything just takes longer. It takes about three times longer sometimes to uh, get the jury selected because you can't have, you know, 100 people in one courtroom. We, we do it with social distancing every step of the way. And uh, we actually had a, a local sports writer call for jury duty and he did a feature article in the local newspaper about his jury experience and it was very positive. And uh, 
And our juror rate of attendance has only dropped about 5%, which uh, we're, we're very, very thankful for. You know, it's interesting you say that, Sam, because I've had a number of conversations with colleagues across the country about jury trials and jury issues. And uh, one person, I, I don't recall who it is at the moment, but she mentioned that their show rate, their juror show rate has actually improved be, uh, during COVID. And, uh, you know, when she said that, it, it occurred to me, I'm like, you know, many of us, we've experienced kind of being desperate for interactions with other people. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I half wondered if that wasn't an excuse to, to take advantage of just to have the opportunity to interact with other people. Mm -hmm. So uh, Debbie and Sam, thank you both. Now, the home environments of some employees may not be conducive to effective teleworking. For example, the home workspace may not be quiet enough to allow for proper focus. Should the court have a say in an employee's homework arrangements? Terry, what do you think? Well, it's actually part of our county policy on teleworking that you have a conducive environment. So we could rely on that if we would allow it. But I, I, again, I don't think would ever consider it for our staff. And it has been widely used at the county level. Most of our county buildings have been closed and most of those employees have been working from home. Many of them are support staff in departments such as purchasing and accounts payable, things like that. And I'll be honest, I have not been a fan. I don't feel like employees are as responsive. I think I even mentioned to you in an email that it seems like folks don't even answer their phone until around 10 a.m. And a lot of times they're annoyed when you call them. Um, I think a certain level of employee really can't be responsible for being allowed to work from home. So I'm not a fan of it. Courtney, what do you think? Uh, much, like, much like Terry said, we have a framework from the county as far as what our, our telework policies will be. Uh, and then as the appointing authority, we can add in dif uh, different scenarios. So, you know, if, if well, conversation of a, an employee going to telework, do you have internet at home? Uh, what is the speed of your internet? Because we have to have a certain speed in order to run the case management system. So those kinds of questions, but the, you know, the county's policy is very specific as far as what we will provide the employee with. The rest is there's a certain level of expectation and trust, and I can run reports, I can call, we have instant, you get to see who's on, who's not. And I think the important part is just making the expectations very, very clear. It's up to me as the appointing authority to determine to, um, the county views it as a privilege to work from home. So if if it's abused, then I, it's a privilege I can take away if, if necessary. I don't foresee that happening. Hopefully that's never an issue, but I think it's important if you make the expectation clear. You know, a, a prime example is my son's daycare today emailed and said, hey, we're closed for the next two weeks. P.S. Can you pick up your kid by four? Hence why I'm not in my office. And mm -hmm. it's like, oh, okay. And so I, I think a lot of parents find themselves in similar situations, rather regardless if they're court employees or not. But, you know, having that ability to work from home, they're still able to, uh, to work. And it, the, their work schedules may look different. But I have found in my experience that people almost are more productive working from home 
Because when you when you leave your office at whatever time you leave, you leave your computer there. When you're working from home, you have to walk by it. And then it kind of calls to you like, come work, don't walk away. And so I, I think that you get sometimes more productivity out of people. But um, a lot of it, I think, as Terry alluded to, it kind of depends on the person too. So those are my, that's my thought on that for sure. I know when I was working from home, I never knew when my day started or ended. I would frequently get up and start working in my pajamas at 6 a.m. And I'd still be working in my pajamas at midnight. Uh, I think I worked continuously for about three months. I never took a day off. So for me, I think I worked harder. But Courtney raised another issue, which is bandwidth. I know families where both spouses are working from home and they may, might have two or three children doing online school and they're finding they have to stagger their schedules because their bandwidth does not support all five of them working on the internet at the same time. So that is a big consideration when thinking about who can work from home. Terry, does the county enforce any minimum requirements to allow employees to work at home? Our county has so much documentation on what's required that it gave me a headache to even read it. It's very extensive in what the requirements are. And I think a lot of people would have a difficult time meeting all of those requirements. Really? Uh, you know, for someone like me, I can bring home a county laptop that has all of the required security software, but we don't have laptops for all employees. And so their personal computer or personal laptop would definitely not meet all of those requirements. Mm -hmm. Do teleworking employees in your court use the court's computers or their own computers when they telework? And what precautions has your court taken to prevent malware attacks or being hacked? Terry? Well, our, our court utilizes the county IT system and they have very extensive software. For example, email is a product called Mimecast that basically checks every email for all sorts of malware and ransomware before you can even open that. Any email that has a large attachment gets quarantined before you can view it. So that's kind of a critical thing to keep, keep uh, bad actors from accessing the county system. So those are all written in the requirements that they have before you can telework. Sam, are employees given court computers or their own? It's a combination of both uh, in, in terms of the, uh, their own computer. It's typically an iPad and it's uh, secured by our IT department with the latest uh, malware prevention equipment or software. And um, as far as the, uh, those who use their own computer, we certainly make those type of programs available to download as well. And we um, have, uh, checklist along those lines and uh, uh, folks will, will uh, go down the checklist and sign off they've done everything that's uh, required. Debbie? Yeah, so the court does issue equipment to staff who are working remotely so um, or teleworking. So we they get a laptop and um, some of them have been issued a cell phone and you know, we do take security really seriously. All of our equipment has all of the software on it. And since they're connecting by VPN to our network, um, our network has those kinds of protections as well. In addition, we require our staff to take an annual um, security training throughout the state, all of 
Oregon Judicial Department, all staff are doing that, including our judges taking an annual security training, which covers things like ransomware and hacking and, and those kinds of things. And as issues come up at our court or around the state, information is going out to staff with reminders that, um, you know, hey, we just got this email and it looks suspicious and it was suspicious and here's what you should, what, sh what you should look for. And on top of the annual security training, they do um, phishing exercises. So we just had one a um, couple months ago for the all of Oregon Judicial Department. They did a um, an outside company came in and did a assisted with this phishing exercise. And so there was no danger to anyone who clicked on the link or provided their uh, login information. But it it's a good educational opportunity for people to um, in a in a quasi real world situation realize you know, if I had done this in, for, for real, you know, this could have been a big problem and, and really help them identify what they should be looking for. So um, I feel like our court is taking this pretty seriously and that we have the things in place that will hopefully protect us from something like that. Courtney, how about in St. Louis? I do not allow any uh, personal equipment to be used. Not because, again, not because I don't trust the trust any of our personnel, but we don't know what they do in their, in their off time or, and we do not reimburse for the personal cell phones or the personal use of a laptop or iPad or whatnot. So they are all issued or will be issued their own laptops that all have tag numbers. They're responsible for them. And that's the bottom, bottom of line of that. I won't allow them to use, I don't even let them use their cell phones. They can't forward their landline from their desk to their cell phone. And, and I think that that's part of a, my choice as the appointing authority. I, we don't pay them. We don't pay their cell phone bills. One very popular management philosophy is called managing by walking around. Of course, some employees have called it managing by looking over my shoulder. Either way, you can't manage by walking around if your employees are teleworking. How do you manage teleworking employees? What have you found to be the benefits and the pitfalls? Debbie? Uh, well, for us, I think it's been important to stay in frequent contact with our staff and um, establish a work schedule because, you know, some of our staff are trying to take care of children right now and they may be working alternate hours. So it's important for us and for them to be really clear on what their their work schedule is and when they're going to be available. We also try to schedule um, team meetings using uh, remote technology so that people can stay connected. And, um, you know, you just establish some expectations for what you expect them to be completing at home. So, um, you know, I think there's benefits that the work is being done, so that's good. And, you know, we are finding some efficiencies and things we may, might want to incorporate once we things go back to more uh, normal times. Um, there definitely are some pitfalls. I think staff feel lonely or disconnected sometimes, and they feel like they're out of the communication loop. So that goes back to what I was saying, that really important to, to try to keep everybody in the communication loop. And, you know, there's just some work that can't be done from home. So uh, like printing, they have to print here into the office and mailing. So there has to be somebody here in the office to help support that work. And so it's kind of a, I think sometimes people at, in the office feel a, an additional burden on top of being um, the person that's required to be in person here at the office to help support the remote workers. So that, that can be um, hard. So, 
you know, we, we've done some things um, to try to mitigate that. Uh, and then in addition, technology can be a problem. So, you know, the bandwidth issue that, that was being discussed earlier is definitely a problem uh, with some of our staff. And then just some people are not uh, necessarily good remote workers. It's hard for them to stay on task, especially when they have a lot of interruptions from, uh, you know, dealing with childcare issues and things like that. I can relate to that one. Not that I have disruption so much, but I work better when I'm in environment. So at the yes. office. <laughs> Definitely. So, uh, thank you. Uh, Terry? Well, like I said, we do not have employees that are currently teleworking. I feel very fortunate. The staff I have, I don't have to micromanage. I, I do walk around, but I know they're all working. I know they're on task. If we were to allow teleworking, there's certainly reports that I could run to ensure that they're doing their work. But I mean, we have a great staff and they've really all pulled together during this. I mean, it's been a difficult time for everybody. And um, we, we have just recently implemented e-filing for civil cases. And I have an awesome employee who has really stepped up to the plate and started working with attorney firms to help get them trained on e-filing because we're really trying to reduce the number of people that come to our, our building. So we have a great staff and I, I trust that they do their job. But again, we're not really encouraging teleworking at this time and we're not practically set up for it. Okay, thank you, Terry. You kind of made a nice segue into my next question, which is how do you assess the productivity levels of employees who telework? Sam? Well, overall uh, for us, this, if anything, our folks have been more productive. There are some easy measures, easy metrics to look at, and depending on the job, how many of probate reports have we received? How many uh, motions have been worked up <coughs> by our research attorneys? Those numbers are pretty well established, and we would know real quick if, if there was a, any sort of a breakdown. But uh, so far, so good from what we've been able to tell. And of course, some areas are new. We're still working on uh, making sure that uh, we're, the work is being accomplished. Um, but overall, I can tell you that I've gone from being, you know, never in my lifetime doing this to where, what a person does is so much more important than where they do it. Well said. Thank you. Courtney? I don't know that I can top Sam's response. That little ditty at the end was, was pretty pretty nice. Um, I, I will say, I, I think that the metrics and the reports are, are invaluable tools, but also I have found that giving people additional responsibility and getting their input, especially going into this new system of, hey, can you check out the case import queue directions in the manual and kind of report out what you find or what you think or um, just checking back in to say, hey, I saw you worked on these 20 cases today. You know, what do you think about the process and uh, talking, going through and just auditing random cases and seeing what's going on or asking others to audit other cases, other people's cases. So maybe we can identify, you know, if there's a series of errors being made, we can address that. But I think involving them in the process has, has worked well for me. Uh, just as well as a report or or a metric, because I'm not a micromanager. I, I, you're not doing your job. That's a reflection of me as a leader. I'm not giving the tools to be successful. So I just trust that they are. We go from there. <laughs>
Have you had to address workload disparities between teleworkers and those who come into the office? Debbie? Yeah, we, we've, we have had to do that. And um, one of the things we've been looking at recently is how we can balance that workload a little bit better. And so all of our calls that come into the building have been answered by our in-person staff here in the building. And it puts a burden on them to not only take be dealing with the telephone calls, the people at the counter supporting the remote workers and trying to do their you know regular jobs. And so we worked with our county to um, set up uh, voice over internet pro protocol phones for our staff that work remotely. And um, so now they're able to take those calls that come in from the customers. And that has really taken a burden off of our in-person staff and um, I think helped balance, rebalance the workload. But you know, I think there are still things that we haven't figured out how to balance. And so we continue to work on that. Thank you, Courtney. Sure, I think some people, you know, everybody likes certain parts of their jobs more than other parts. You know, some people like being in the office and taking those phone calls and, and dealing with the public. Other people just want to, you know, grin and bear it to get through that day to where they can get from home and work the import queue and the e-filing queue and, and deal with all that. So I think there's there's certainly going to be a little bit of that, but I think there's a little bit of that in the office and, and back in the more traditional days. So I yeah, I think they exist, but... I don't pay them much attention. <laughs> Thank you. Have any of your employees who have to come into the office complained about fairness issues? Sam? So far, um, I, you know, we have a large number of people, so I expect we have had some complaints. But as a broad issue, we dealt with this with our labor unions early on. And, um, and the trade-off for us was um, where our goal, again, the motivating factor is to operate with as few people in the courthouse as possible. And we feel like that makes a safer courthouse in, in this uh, COVID environment. So I think when it's looked at in that regard, issues about fairness tend to pale beyond what we're, the overall emergency we're trying to address and still get the work accomplished. Courtney? I think that that's a great answer. I don't think you could, I mean, we need people out of out of the office. Uh, luckily we don't, again, having four locations, it's kind of spread out where people can, you know, it, come visit whatever court is within their, their neighborhood or the closest one to them. So uh, yeah, the whole idea is to, to make the safest environment possible. And there are some people who don't have the capability or the technology at home to be able to do a virtual hearing. So we provide that for them at our at our court locations, but we can operate with one or two clerks in the office and still have an effective and functional office and, and court, then that's what we need to be doing right now. And in the event that that changes, maybe we go back to business as we knew it before, maybe we don't. That's something we'll have to assess at that time. Thank you. Debbie. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been, you know, a few complaints here and there. And, um, you know, one of the things we've done is uh, you know, safety is the biggest consideration and, and having as few employees on site as possible, just like others have said, is, is what we've tried to do as well. We have worked on a rotation for our staff that can work in the building so that um, there's rotation of people in and out of the building to kind of uh, make that a little bit feel a little bit more equitable. 
But, you know, there's just some people that can't work in the building right now for um, health reasons or they have childcare re issues. And um, so, you know, having communication with staff who maybe aren't as happy about the situation, just, you know, discussing some of the reasons why somebody um, not not going into specifics, but, you know, gen generally there's there's reasons why people can't work in the building right now. And um, so being able to have those discussions with staff, I think, is important. I agree. I think that's very important. Terry? You know, early in the pandemic, probably for the first two months, we were staggering schedules and only having half of our employees come in on a given day. And we did it in a way that it was completely fair so that we wouldn't get complaints. About two months in, um, our county did an excellent job of putting up plexiglass shields in between employees. We moved people's workstations and spaced them out. And the county also hired an additional janitorial service to come in throughout the day, go through and clean high touch surfaces on a regular basis. So once we felt that it was safer to bring everyone back, we did. All right, thank you. Some courts have had to modify their operations in order to facilitate telework. For example, some courts have had to scan letters, then email those letters to employees at home for processing. What operational changes did your court have to make to take added advantage of teleworking? Sam? Well, when the pandemic uh, struck, we were right in the middle of implementing a new case management system. We had already uh, been able to get it into family law and probate. And we were heading towards civil when we were just stopped, you know, in our tracks. But in looking at what we felt like this system would provide was in effect a, a defense for something like a pandemic. So we went forward with it and we implemented the civil case management system in November. And uh, thank goodness, I mean, it has just made such a difference uh, in getting the work accomplished. We were behind in, in a not a good way with our civil, uh, filing our civil complaints. And uh, just recently we were able to spread that work around 10 case administrators. And in the new, with the new case the management system, we were able to catch up in 45 minutes. And this system has just really been phenomenal in so many ways, some anticipated, a lot unanticipated, but all good. And so um, moving forward with something like that uh, during this pandemic has really helped us. Debbie? So we, we already were set up with um, e-filing and so, you know, all of our records are available online and we had workflows and queues that our staff could work from home. Uh, you know, I think some of the things that we had to scramble around to figure out was um, getting the technology we needed for staff. So getting all the laptops and um, if we needed a webcam for them, um, those, those kinds of things so that they could communicate better with people here in the office. We also needed to deal with the work that they did at home that they they you know they couldn't print out their work so they would print it here to the office so we had to figure out some staff workflows in person uh, to support those remote workers and um like i mentioned earlier we ha we've worked on getting them telephones at home that are connected to our um, acd lines here in the building so that they can answer calls from customers so we've done some of those kinds of things we've implemented remote hearings and that has caused you know, quite a few changes in, in how we um, operate. And and I really think some of those things are things we're going to want to consider 
doing into the future, especially uh, related to remote hearings. Thank you. I think that's going to be a, an important thing for all courts to address is what are some of the changes we made? What, what are those changes that we really need to embrace that can make our operations better? Finally, what advice do you have for court administrators and clerks of court in the rest of the country? Sam? Well, I would say be flexible. Uh, no matter what happens, don't give up. Uh, we have gone through a very uh, tough time and we're getting through it. And when we do get through it, we will have something to talk about the rest of our lives. Debbie? My, I have similar advice. It's, you know, we're, we're going through a really stressful time right now. I think it's important to remember that we are going to come through this at the other end. Um, we're going to, you know, and, and we're going to be stronger for it. Uh, we're going to have learned some things along the way. And we um, have been forced to implement a lot of changes in the, in the last few months that probably would have taken us 10 years in the past or longer. Um, and some of those changes have been really good ones. And I think we're going to want to, to keep some of those things. So, you know, just keep, keep a little list of things that, that we might want to include in the future and um, just stay positive and recognize we're going to get through this and we'll come through on the other end. Courtney? Definitely, I would say to stay positive, but the on the flip side of that, I would think uh, that it's good to kind of be jazzed about the new opportunities and the new things that we that we are doing. And don't forget to, to look back at how far we've come in a really short period of time. Uh, you know, artificial intelligence and doing things differently have been talked about a lot in the last five years, but to see what we have accomplished in the last year Holy moly. I mean, you just, you would have never thought that it was possible and here we are making it work. So I, I think as much as we're looking forward, I think we ought to, it's important to look back and see what we've accomplished. Terry? You know, in the past, I've spent time on continuity of operations planning and emergency management planning. Uh, never did I think in my career, I would actually have to implement any of those plans. I'm grateful now that we had them. You know, we dusted them off when this hit, and there were certainly items in there that we were able to do, but this certainly made us think in new ways we never imagined. I certainly never thought it would go on for this long. And as the others have said, there have been some positives that have come from this that I'm sure become permanent changes. I think doing arraignments uh, remotely, allowing more remote witness testimony uh, just making things more convenient for people. I think those are all positive changes that will continue. Into okay. I want to thank Sam Hamrick, Debbie Spradley, Courtney Whiteside, and Terry March for sharing their experiences with teleworking in their courts. It's clear that teleworking is going to continue to be a major factor in court administration for some time to come. What they have gone through can serve as a guide for the rest of us. My thanks also to my excellent co-host, Alice Roberts. Her insightful questions have brought so many issues to the forefront. My thanks also to you court professionals watching today's episode. Your dedication to the courts and the administration of justice is the foundation of the judicial branch. You have our deepest appreciation. Join us in March for another episode dealing with the issues that are facing our courts. Also, please note that starting next month, we're switching our podcast to the third Tuesday of every month so be sure to tune in on Tuesday, March the 16th for our next episode. This has been the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. I'm Pete Kiefer, and thanks for listening.
Thanks for joining us today. The Court Leader's Advantage is a regular podcast on courts and court administration. Today's episode will be available on our website, on YouTube, on Facebook, on iTunes, and on Twitter. Become part of the conversation. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, email us. Our address is podcast. that's all one word, at nakamnet.org. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of our guests, the Court Leaders website, and the National Association for Court Management, thanks for listening. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the host and the individual presenters. They do not necessarily represent the position of the National Association for Court Management.